Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. John chapter 11, verses 17 to 35. And this section of the story is Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. This is the word of the Lord. Here at Southside, we've, uh, we generally work through books of the Bible and that forces us to look at passages, a story, it's in the Bible, it's there for us and our benefit. Uh, and today we're looking at pretty much a funeral. Uh, it's not something you'd go, hey, let's preach on funerals, uh, but it's there, we need to look at it, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to us as we spend some time looking at what's going on here. Uh, let me pray before we look at God's Word. Dear Father, we thank you for showing us who you are through Jesus. We thank you that it's recorded in the scriptures we have before us, and what a privilege that is. But Lord, we pray that your Spirit would help us to understand, and not only to be encouraged from it, but to grow from it as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Funerals are an interesting thing, isn't it? Where there's a whole mix of emotions. In fact, in fact, sorry, I'm lost without my clicker. I'm going to do a quick. 
In fact, it's a very confusing time. Uh, and it was really highlighted to me. Uh, one funeral I was to do uh, was for a family that I didn't know. It was a summer of a couple of years ago. A big storm had just gone through Brisbane, wiped out suburbs of electricity. Uh, we went to do the uh, funeral at the crematorium. Crematorium says, got no power. We've got to do something else. They moved the funeral to another crematorium, which meant instead of having how they do it there, they do one-hour slots. You have 15 minutes to walk in, 30 minutes to do your service, 15 minutes to go out. Um, and that's just a fact of life. Crematoriums know there's always people dying, there's always people going to be uh, filling in their time slots. But when you squash them together, we had, we were told you got half an hour, get in, do your service and be out, because we're basically doubling the amount of people who had to do funerals. So when I'd turned up there and with the family and lots of friends, it was quite a large funeral, uh, of course, the funeral in front of us was running late. So as we're standing there in the grief of we're about to um, go through the funeral service of their granddad, well-loved granddad, there was high emotion. I didn't know many of the people. I'd had a few conversations, but just to stand there as they were uh, in tears, they were greeting each other, but just waiting. When can we get into the funeral service? We had to wait for quite a while in the summer heat, um, and it was just really highly emotional strung. When the previous funeral had finished, they had to walk out from their funeral past us. And if you've been to a funeral, often there's, uh, there is high emotion. It's tears. It's remembering the person, saying goodbye to the person in a sense. But then there's something cracks in the service where there's just a lighter, mo mo lighter moment and the tension is off and it's relieved. And all of a sudden, you go, yeah, I remember the good days. And you come back often with a bit of laughter uh, a bit of cheering, and yes, we've said farewell. This was an awesome time to, for us to work through our grief. So the previous service was walking out of their time past us, my, our crowd, in tears, jovial, laughing. I'm going, what has just happened? This is terrible. That My guys are in grief. These guys have come up. They've gone through a series of emotions to come out, and we've come together. But then we went in, did our service, uh, worked through a whole lot of emotions through that funeral service and come out and to my embarrassment, we did the same thing because people were, they felt lighter all of a sudden. But there was the next funeral about to start. And it's just really confusing, isn't it? How do we make the most of being confronted by death, saying goodbye to a loved one? How are we meant to feel? Should we go, hey, if we believe in Jesus, we believe in eternal life, we believe in the resurrection, why should we be sad at all? Or do we just go, you know what, this is uncontrollable emotion and I feel a whole lot of different things. How should I feel? How should Christians feel? Are they should, should feel any different to the rest of the world where they may not believe in eternity or heaven? How should we believe? Well, this is where this passage is really helpful because it forces us to think about it, sees how people are handling this grief and death, but Jesus is there and Jesus is going to talk them through it and he's going to give them hope. Uh, so this is the passage we're up to, uh, to find out uh, what, what would we do if we're there and how do we handle grief today? Because we're all confused. We're all confused on how, how to respond in those moments. The first 16 verses is, uh, is interesting in that John seems to be setting up the scene. There's three scenes in this passage we're looking at this morning. It's a long passage. John really slows down the pace so we can have a good close look at it. So we've got to move reasonably quickly. But 
basically we're going to set the scene for each one and then work out what is happening. And in this first scene, uh, just before what we had the Bible read, we see Jesus is at a place with his disciples and they're out of Judea. Judea is this area that uh, basically got Jerusalem in the middle. That's the hub of the Jewish um, religious uh, people in that the temple's there, everything's there. Jesus has already been to Jerusalem. Uh, in the previous chapters, he's actually said some things like, hey, me and the Father, we're one, which basically saying Jesus is claiming that he's from heaven, which he's, he is God, and a lot of the Jews got upset at him at that. And they, uh, the last chapter of here last week, they had stones ready to stone Jesus. They were that upset at Jesus. So these guys are kind of gone, they're laying low, they're undercover, they're in some sort of witness protection program kind of things like, we need to just get out of that tension there. So they're out of Judea. They're, they're hanging out in a place. But they get, some, get a message uh, from Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we don't hear much of them uh, in the story, but they do pop up every now and again where they are good friends of Jesus. They're loved by Jesus. They're his close friends. And Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus in hiding, in a sense, that, hey, Lazarus is sick. We're in trouble. And it's not just, this is for your information, he's unwell, a Facebook post. It's, he's sick. We know you can heal sick people. There's an implication there. Can you come and help us out? So we pick up the story in verse 3, where they send the message, Lord, the one you love is sick. Implication, come and help us out. But Jesus hears this, and he says, the sickness will not end in death. So it's just Jesus and the disciples in this house. So he's telling them, uh, they've all got the message. Somebody's come to the door. Lazarus is sick. Uh, But Jesus says, He's just not alarmed. His sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. So it's this, I think the disciples going, Jesus has said something like this once before, and he was talking about, hey, unfortunate situation, but if there's a miracle involved, good things are going to come out of it, and it's going to teach us about God. So the disciples, they don't seem too worried at all. If Jesus is not worried, why would we be worried? But then there comes, Jesus waits two days, two days later. And then uh, he says to his disciples, well, let's, now it's time for us to go back to Judea. Let's go and visit the family and see what's going on. Now, this is where there's the first confrontation with death. They say, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back. See, they're confronted by death, not Lazarus's death, they haven't twigged to that yet, but Jesus, we're worried you're going to die. Remember, they had it locked and loaded, you're in their sights, and they're already going, you got wanted posters up uh, in Judea. Do you really want to go back? We don't want to lose you. And like, we can feel that, right? We don't want to walk into a dangerous situation. Now, we drive cars, we want airbags in our cars to save our lives. We're glad that engineers fixed this, you know, made this building safe for us to sit in because we don't want to be sitting here in the roof cave in. We actually take precautions not to die. And they're going, actually, Jesus, you're putting yourself in a situation where you could die. We don't think that's wise. But then Jesus uh, goes on to explain, actually, I'm here for a short time. You know, while there is day, I've got to go and do the work of the Lord. It's like, God has sent me. The Father has sent me to do work. And I need to go to do that work. And then I suppose they're thinking, well, if you've got a good reason why we should go, we're in. But give us the good reason. And then he says in verse 11, 
He went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. He's fallen asleep. Is this the good reason? And you can see the disciples thinking this through. We're going to put our lives at risk because this guy's fallen asleep. So they reply, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. That's a reason not to go, isn't it? You know, if he sleeps, he's probably got a fever or whatever. He'll work his way through it. We're not going there. That's not a good enough reason. But then Jesus has to describe, speak plainly about what is going on. That he meant he's dead. So he speaks plainly in verse 14. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe and let us go to, but let us go to him. Now, we're still going to Judea where they don't like us. Uh, Lazarus is dead. Um, th- that's the reason we're going. So Thomas, one of the disciples, so they're still trying to process, why are we going to Judea and they're going to kill us? Lazarus is dead. Well, if Lazarus is already dead, it's too late, isn't it? Jesus has healed people, but he hasn't raised the dead. If he heals people, it's too late. He's buried. So they're going, if Lazarus is dead, now Jesus going to Judea, he's probably going to die too. It's almost this attitude in Thomas in verse 16. He says to the rest of the disciples, well, let us also go that we may die with him. It's like, Lazarus dead, Jesus is going to die. Well, it's, our, it's all our destiny, isn't it? Death's going to get us at some time. Why put it off? May as well die together. That seems to be the tone of what he's saying. Now, the disciples are still, they're confronted by death. They're confused by death. We don't want to go there because we don't want to die. And in fact, now Jesus is going, no, we are going there. They're saying, well, well, we're going to die anyway. Just, just enjoy the moment with Jesus, it seems. There's 16 verses going on here in John that I wonder why John even included it. He could have done it in two verses just to say, Jesus' friend Lazarus is dead and Jesus is heading back to his homeland. Fill out all this, this stuff. But I think what John's going, what he's saying is actually recognising when we're confronted by death, it is confusing. It's confusing. And in fact, it's an awkward topic to get into and start a topic with somebody about death. So he's saying, actually, if you look at how we were confused by death, you can see we said some dumb stuff. We didn't understand Jesus. Actually, to be fair, Jesus wasn't that clear. I actually wonder, and you won't find this anywhere else in any, um, any commentaries, I actually wonder, was Jesus uh, a little bit found talking about death awkward? I think, well, he's asleep. Oh, we're going to wake him up. Oh, no, I need to talk to you plainly. He's dead. Um, did Jesus find it an awkward topic to talk about as well? So I think it's, it's actually something that, that John's saying, actually, you look at our, us as a disciples. If you think death is an awkward topic, look at us. Even have a laugh at us as our response because we didn't get it. But it's okay to be awkward about death. If, it makes, if laughing at us makes you feel better, to break the ice in a sense, have a laugh at our response because we're confused. That's okay. But then we get a bit closer. We get a bit closer. We're actually confronted by the death because they go to the place, to the house um, where it is. So Jesus takes his disciples. Uh, Lazarus is already dead, which we've heard. Uh, and how the Jewish tradition in the first century is the day a person dies, they get put into the tomb. They don't want to wait around. They don't want a, the body to decay. There's no freezers to, to, to you know, hang on to the body till it's convenient to run a funeral service. It goes straight into the tomb the day they die. 
they have a funeral service. Uh, and, and part of their culture is a lot of the neighbouring people, the, the support network, will come to the house to help you mourn. So even though the burial and the service might be that day, they will mourn for a whole week. So the friends come in. They'll just be there. They'll cry when you cry, talk when you talk. They'll bring you meals so you don't have to worry about leaving the house. They're a good support network, but they do it for a whole week. And this is kind of where we're walking in on. Lazarus has been dead four days now. Four days. And then finally, Jesus turns up on the scene. Now, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' two sisters, Martha first hears that Jesus is making his way into the village. So she runs out to, to talk to Jesus. She wants to talk it through because she's going through a whole lot of grief in herself. It's still the mourning period. And how do you think she's feeling? She's just buried a brother. He was sick. They called out to Jesus, hey, he's sick. Do you reckon you can come over and heal him? Because we've seen you do it before. Jesus didn't show up, not only to heal him, but once he died, he didn't show up for the funeral. He hasn't been there at all. Four days later, he turns up. It's too late now. Our brother's dead. So what does she say to Jesus? If you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. You sense the frustration, right? If you had been here, he would not have died. Where were you when we needed you? You're our friend. I believed in you. I trusted you. But now it's too late. Where were you? We can sort of associate with that, can't we? If we've ever been in that situation, and I know we've got a mixed crowd, mixed ages here, that some of us have been uh, lost people very close to us, maybe even husbands or wives. We've lost those around us, parents, brothers or sisters, even some children. But even if you haven't been there, you kind of... I don't want to soften this, but even when you lose a pet, it's kind of like... Your heart gets torn at that moment. And you do ask God these questions. It, I think we've all prayed a prayer like, where were you? You could have fixed this up. Why now? Why this person? Why couldn't you cure the cancer? Why couldn't you fix the tumour? Why have you taken them from my life? I just wanted a bit more time. So she cries out to him in frustration. It would seem, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Because I believed in you, but you weren't even here. Now, we all wrestle through grief differently. And for Martha, it seems, she's a quick processor, wants to talk things through, and I think a lot of us can associate with her. She's not even after an answer from Jesus. She doesn't want to fight with Jesus. She doesn't want to debate with Jesus. She doesn't want to hear his answer, where were you? But she goes straight into uh, processing, processing what's happened. So she says in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's almost like, yeah, I'm frustrated, but I still believe in you. I still believe you've got that relationship with the Father and you can do anything. I don't think she's asking anything at this point. She's just saying, just affirming, I'm angry at you, but I still believe in you. I'm still there for you. And she's talking it through. She's not even letting Jesus uh, come in on that. She's just you know, this is my thought process. And Jesus picks up that thought process because of some people, they need to talk. Talk through their grief. So Jesus answers her, your brother will rise again. Now, 
We want to jump to, don't worry, Jesus comes on the scene, goes, she'll be right. I'm Jesus. I'm God. It's all right. I'll rise him from the grave and everything will be okay. He's not exactly saying that. He's actually affirming something most of the Jews believed in that day, that there is life after death, that uh, on the last day when God makes things right, he will raise people. They did believe in the resurrection and they did believe in heaven and eternity. So he's actually saying something we often tell ourselves when somebody dies. They're, they're dead, that's sad, but we quickly jump to, but at least they're a Christian, at least they had the hope of eternity in heaven. It's like it's going that direction. Your brother will rise again. That's why she says, the next verse, 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's what they believe. That's the hope. That's a certainty they have. But Jesus fills it out a bit more, and this is where he pushes into a new area. He says, but I am the resurrection and the life. She says, it's the last day it's going to happen. Jesus says, no, actually, I'm here now. I am the resurrection where people come to life. I am the life where people come to me now. Then he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I don't know, that's a lot to take in, what this means, particularly when she hasn't seen anybody raised from the dead. So I'm seeing her answer as, yes, Lord. It's like, I believe Jesus. I believe what you say. It's almost like, I've got no idea what you just said just then, but this is what I do believe. I believe that you are the Messiah. She doesn't actually repeat what he says, but this is what I do believe. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Yeah, I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm trusting you in this resurrection and life. I'm trusting you in this, Jesus. They've talked it through. She's been comforted by Jesus in this conversation, and she's moving through her grief. So she then goes back to the house and tells Mary, hey, Jesus, he's waiting just outside the village and he wants to talk to you. Now, how's Mary feeling about this? What's the conversation going to go like with Mary? So Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and says the exact same words of Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's feeling the exact same way. Where were you? You could have fixed the situation and now we're in this mess. We've lost our brother. But instead of talking it through, as I said before, we all grieve differently or we all go go through different processes. She's got a different process again. She doesn't follow it up with the next statement. Well, at least we're going to see him on the last day. There's none of that. She's just got one statement. Jesus doesn't come in, hey, but it's going to be all right. I'm going to raise him from the dead. He doesn't say that. We're just told, here's Jesus. Mary's on the ground in front of him in a ball of tears. And then what happens is the the other mourners come and they're around her. They're seeing her cry. So they're in tears as well. Nobody's saying anything. I think that's kind of really awkward if you imagine being there, all these people in tears, all feeling the pain of what's going on. Where were you, Jesus? Jesus not giving an answer. He's just letting her cry. And I think what I take away from that is if you've been in that situation, if you've been somewhere where you've either told somebody the news that somebody has just died or you've been told the news and you've got no words, 
You just, you've had your heart torn out. You're not going to see your friend again. It's the end, in a sense. It, it feels in that moment. It's the end. They're gone. That, how do you put that emotion in your heart into words? How do you have that conversation? And in the moment, for most of us here, would just go, all I've got is tears. That's the only way I can communicate, is in a ball of tears. And I think for Jesus, he's going, that's okay. And I think that's a word of encouragement to us. If, we, if we're in that moment and we, we don't want to talk to people because all we've got is these outbursts of tears, that's okay. And even if we're visiting people who are going through that grief and they don't want to talk, but they're sitting there and just appears like random, just outbursts of tears to go, that's okay. You don't have to talk. I'm sure they appreciate you there. Because this is what's happening now. In fact, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, everything's going to be all right. He actually feels what's going on in the moment. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He was moved by that. He wasn't carrying on the conversation. He wasn't pushing them away, but just letting the moment happen. But when the time was right, he asked the question and almost avoiding answering her, where were you thing, uh, he says, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And at that point, Jesus cracks. He weeps. It's very interesting in, uh, in the Gospel of John, there's actually four times where John, uh, there, there's this phrase, come and see. Come and see. The first three times has happened already before this, where people see Jesus and they go, wow, there's something about him. We think he's Lord. We think he's the Messiah. We think he's the Son of God. Come and see. So there's all these invitations three times. Come and see this Jesus. Come and see his Lord. Come and see he's our Messiah. But this time, the come and see is the invitation to Jesus. And it's almost like, Jesus, you want to come into this world. You want to know what it's like. Come and see. Come and see the pain. Come and see the hurt. And that's where it says Jesus weeps. Actually feels what's going on. Actually feels the grief. Now, do you think in that moment that Jesus doesn't know what's going to happen in the end? Do you think he knows that Lazarus will rise from the dead? He's already alluded to it twice before this. So he knows how it's going to end, but he still feels the sting of death in that moment. Uh, a number of funerals, particularly Christian funerals, uh, one of the Bible readings is from 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And it's kind of, there's a bit of irony there when you're at a funeral and that gets read out because that is the hope we have in Christ, as Christians, that where is your victory? Where is your sting? But you've got a coffin with a body in it right in front of you. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? There it is. There's a dead body in a box. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Look at the front row. There's family all in tears. Death hurts. Death has a sting. Where is it? We'll find out later. It mightn't be the ultimate victory. But it still stings. It still hurts. And even Jesus feels that. The loss of the death. 
lost the sting in that. All because he's lost his, his friend in that moment, but also what the sisters are going through. Even the Jews could see it. See how he loved him. Jesus is not far off. He's not a far off God. But come and see. He's come into our world and he sees what's going on. And he feels it. He knows what's going on. See, after that, uh, after that moment, uh, they're on the journey then, the next scene, to, the, to where they've laid the body. They go to the tomb. Uh, of course, it's a, it's a carved out cave. It's got a big boulder in front of it. And he, he's turned up there and is confronted by uh, yeah, this, this situation. Um, so I should just mention before we get to that scene... Some see how Jesus loved him, but other Jews are asking the same question the girls did in that moment. Hang on, couldn't Jesus, the one who opened the eyes of the blind, have made this man, like could have saved him? Couldn't, couldn't he have done that? They're asking the same question as the girls, but maybe a little bit more cynical. Jesus could have fixed this when he was still alive by healing. But then they go to the tomb... And Jesus, even once they get to the tomb, is once more deeply moved as they come. And I think even when you see Jesus experiencing this, and for many of us, even when we go to a cemetery, when we go to visit a loved one whose, uh, whose body is buried there, it's still high emotion. And that's okay. Because even Jesus stirred when he's at a cemetery like that. It was a cave, it's got a stone in front of it, and Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord Martha said, this, there's a bad odour, for he's been dead four days. I mean, it's kind of like stating the obvious, but also saying, look, this is not a healing. This guy's dead. Four days. His body's decomposing. This is not a good situation. You're too late, Jesus. But Jesus said, hang on, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God didn't I tell you that? Something big's going to happen here. So they took the stone away when Jesus looked up and said, and he prays. What do you expect Jesus to pray for in that moment? I'd be expecting Jesus to pray for, Father God, you're the God and ruler of all things. Bring this body to life. He doesn't. He prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now Jesus would pray all the time, and he knows his Father hears him. But he's saying this out loud. Thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This is what I'm asking the Father for. The people around might see this is a lesson about Jesus, who Jesus is. This is what this is about. Help people to see that. Help people to see. And then he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come out. Now, uh, there's an old preacher, um, Charles Spurgeon, that when he was preaching on this passage, he said, you know, it's a good thing that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Because if he just yelled, come out, the whole cemetery would be emptied because nobody would know who he was talking to. The whole place would come alive. But by saying, Lazarus, come out, he, Lazarus knows he's going to respond. So then the dead man comes out. And I think this is the moment in that sort of like the funeral service, the lighter moment, that John says... 
that John, who's writing this, he goes, you know, we've been confronted by some heavy stuff. We've worked through some heavy, heavy emotional stuff here this morning. But, you know, this is the crack. This is where it gets let off. You know how Lazarus walks out of the tomb? Let me tell you how funny it was. Lazarus walks out. His hands and feet are wrapped with strips of linen and cloths around his face. It's like... Can you imagine the irony of that? He's not sitting there waiting for Jesus to come. He's still got the cloth around him, trying to wiggle out. So Jesus has to say, state the obvious again, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's like, if you were there, it's like, can you believe it? Not just in awe, but (laughs) seriously, is this how a dead man's going to come out of the grave? This is a lot of moment to go, can you see what Jesus just did? The sting of death is gone in that moment. The victory of death is gone. It hasn't got the victory anymore. This man's risen from the grave. Now, I'm expecting, we've had so much detail in this passage, I'm expecting now that we get told about the party and how Lazarus is going to tell them how, yeah, that was, that was really the pits when I died, but, you know, it's in the tomb and now I'm alive and I can catch up with all my friends. The sisters are all happy again and they're celebrating. Thank you, Jesus. We get none of that. Nothing. We're told then many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed. I think what, Jesus, what John's saying here is like, the other detail, yeah, that happened, but you're forgetting what the big point here. There's a bigger story going on than just uh, what's going on there in that moment. The bigger story is who's believing in Jesus. Some believed. Who can raise a dead man? A sinner, just a mere man, can't do that. Only somebody from God might be able to raise a dead man. Jesus is from God, and they believed. But then there were some others. Hang on. We don't like this Jesus guy. We're going to go to the Pharisees and tell them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees, yep, we need to talk about this. This is trouble. We need to call a meeting. We need to call a meeting to sort this out. What are we going to do with this guy? Because he's showing everybody he's from God. And we don't like that. So even when Jesus conquered death, death of his friend Lazarus, it shows how great he is. But even the lesson doesn't finish there. There's another bigger conquering of death. Because as in their meeting, they get together and they talk about it. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing performing many signs. Notice they don't argue about the sign. How can this be true? Surely it's a lie. It's like, no, no, we know there's something about this man. He's performing these signs. Many witnesses are saying that. But what are we going to do about him? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. See, the Jews had this arrangement. If you know anything about the Romans in the first century, they were very controlling. But they had this peace deal with the Jews. That as long as you look after yourselves, as long as you don't cause us any trouble, we'll let, let you alone. But if, there's a, if, there's, if we hear a whisper of trouble in Jerusalem, we're in there. We're going to take you guys out. And they're going, hang on. We've got this guy walking around saying he's from God and now he's healing people. If the Romans get hold of this, they're just going to come in. We're going to lose everything. What they're saying is we're afraid of the Romans more than they're afraid of Jesus. That's what they're saying. But then one of them, named Cephas, who was a high priest in that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you, not, you do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. If we take this one guy out, one guy dies... 
but we'll all be okay. The whole nation will be okay. Isn't that a better deal? Collateral damage. Let's just kill one, but many will be saved. But what he's saying there, John explains in the next verse, verse 51, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. Jesus has been saying all along that he will lay down his life for his people, that he will die the death his people deserved. That he will lay down his life to to give life to those who believe in him. He's been saying it all along, but now the high priest is saying it. Yeah, let's take him out. Let's take out that one life so so we might live. But actually, Jesus has already said this is going to happen. So this guy's actually prophesying. He's actually fulfilling the prophecy. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. They're going after Jesus. But this is exactly what Jesus came to do, to conquer death. Sure, he gave life back to Lazarus, but he, Jesus came to conquer death once and for all, for all of us. For all of us. See, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us that Jesus went and did this? See, in the past, for Jesus, in Jesus' time, in this first century, death always wins. Nobody can beat death. People are always going to die It's just a natural thing that's going to happen to us. And even us, we can feel that too. Death always will catch up with us. Death wins. And we we can cry out to God. We can be heard. We can have our hearts torn open. That When we're confronted by death, we don't know what to do with it. We're confused by it, but we know it hurts. It stings. And we can cry out to God, where were you? Where were you? Do you not answer my prayers that you're so far away that you don't listen to me? Do you even understand, God, the hurt that I'm going through? Yet you didn't heal my friend. You didn't uh, save their life. You took them out when I wanted more time with them. Do you even know the hurt I'm going through? Yet what's going on in this story is God is listening and he sees. It's very interesting that right from the very first death we hear in Scripture, back in Genesis, we get Adam and Eve in the garden, they get kicked out of the garden, they have two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and where's God? He's actually there. He's there, and he feels the hurt. He sees the blood that's shed. He knows what's going on. So he's not so far off in a distance, but he's there with humanity to even send his son into our world, And we see in this story that Jesus not only is God that he's like, no, no, I know it's going to be all right, but he actually feels the sting of death when his friend gets hurt. But more than that, he's going to experience the sting of death when he goes to the cross, when the Jews and the Romans catch up with him. He's going to personally experience it. Where, O death, is is your victory? Where is your sting? Jesus knows it's coming. Before he goes to the cross, the night before, he knows it's going to happen. And he's in the garden saying, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Do you think he would say that if he thought death was going to be easy? He knows there's a sting there. But yet he entered that and entered that for us. For us. So he knows not only to have empathy, but he knows through his own experience in our world that he's done that. But not only did he die... But he rose again. He took up his life again so that 
We can see that and go, wow, this is the Jesus. This is the Son of God. He's the creator God. If I believe in him, believe in him, Jesus has been saying all along, that you will have eternal life, that you will be with him forever, that you will have assurance of the resurrection and be with him, uh, in heaven with him. That in that moment, we can say, actually, when I do have that, that kind of assurance that I know Jesus did die and rise again, I can say, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Sure, it doesn't mean it's got no victory or no sting, but it's been beaten even further by Jesus Christ. So when we're confronted by death, let me say, it's confusing. And there's going to be a whole lot of emotions go on. And that's okay. That's okay. But as Christians, we don't mourn like the rest of the world. Because we do have that assurance in Jesus that there is a better place. I long for heaven. In fact, Christians, we should, even though death is at the sting we don't want, we also should long for heaven because that's the kingdom where we will really be home. And I can't wait to see people that I haven't seen for a long time. Uh, on one side of my family, my grandparents died, uh, when I passed away when I was quite young. I didn't get to know them that well, but they were the warmest, cuddliest couple. And I was like, I'd love to see them again. That would be awesome. But also, I long to see other people who don't know Jesus to be there too. And that's where we go, we need to get other people to see this. We need to get others to, to know Jesus themselves. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, not just when you die, after you die, you go to heaven, but even now that we have this new life in him. And I want others to, to know that. So we need to be a church on mission to say, let's take as many with us as possible. So they can have life, but we can spend eternity with them as well. If that's a bit your journey today, this is why we cling to heaven and cling to this, this new kingdom that we're living for. And I hope you feel the weight of that. This is why we can have certainty. This is why we can have hope in the future. It's not about being good or religious people. Get to heaven. It's only those who believe in Jesus. So that's why we're going to take Jesus seriously and call him Lord. Please put it on your hearts today to do that. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for uh, not avoiding the hard subjects. That even in our moment here, we've got a whole bunch of emotions um, that have been stirred this morning, each differently. But Lord, thank you for the comfort that you give us. Death doesn't claim us with the final victory. Sure, it might sting, but Lord, we have got a greater hope, a greater certainty in you. Help us to have hearts that trust you and you alone, not in ourselves, not in our own efforts, but trusting you. And Lord, that we look forward to today, that we actually live for the new kingdom and that we're not afraid of death, but we actually die well knowing that there's much more to come. Thank you for that certainty and pray that you'd give us peace in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.